Crowley, a branding badass, and welcome to Branding Matters, a podcast that I created and host to help you create brand equity. Branding Matters is brought to you by Genumark, one of North America's most trusted branded merch makers for over 40 years. Did you know branded merchandise is one of the best ways to create brand awareness? It's true. Whether with your team or your fans, there's no better way to show your appreciation, connect with your audience, and build community than by combining thoughtful design with great products that tell your brand story. When you partner with Genumark, you get more. More personalized service, more creativity, more innovative solutions, and more importantly, you get it all from a talented team of branding experts who have the experience and know-how to make your job easier and best of all, more fun. From promotional products, custom uniforms and clothing, to sports co-branding, web stores and warehousing, Genumark makes it happen. And being ISO certified, you can rest assured knowing ethical sourcing and sustainability are front and center. Genumark is big enough to matter, but small enough to care. So if you're looking for the right partner to help you create brand awareness, email brandingmatters at genumark.com to start your next project today. That's brandingmatters at G-E-N-U-M-A-R-K dot com. My guest today is Shama Haider, the CEO of Zen Media, a global marketing and digital PR firm. Shama is known around the world as a visionary strategist for the digital age. She's a web and TV personality, a best-selling author, and she's been named the Zen Master of Marketing by Entrepreneur Magazine and the Millennial Master of the Universe by FastCompany.com. And as if that's not impressive enough, Shama has also been honored at both the White House and the United Nations as one of the top 100 young entrepreneurs in the U.S. I invited Shama to be a guest on my show today to talk about the new generation of consumers known as Gen Z. I wanted to learn how brands are building connections with this new generation and I was curious to get her point of view on the role media plays in building a brand. Shama, welcome to Branding Matters. Thank you so much, Jolie. I'm excited to finally get to do this with you. Oh, I know. Me too. I know. We've had a quite a few hiccups, but we finally made it. Well, let's get right into it because we have tons to cover and I'm really excited to have you here. Is it fair to say that you're a millennial? I am. Yes. Okay. For whatever reason, sometimes I think millennials get a bad rap for, I don't know why. Why do you think millennials get a bad rap or used to get a bad rap? I don't know. I mean, everybody knows Gen Z is the worst. I just, I just threw that. I know. I just threw everybody because everybody <laughs> thinks the next generation is the worst. I'm Gen X, FYI. So let's talk about millennials and people between the ages of 1980 or born between 1980 and 1996. So I know that they were described as the Uber generation, right? That's one term. That's a positive term. I know there's been some other terms. Let's talk because we want to, I want to focus on business and on branding specifically. So what did brands have to do differently when millennials entered into the workforce? I know you, your a lot of your specialty is about millennials and helping brands appeal to that generation. So what did they have to do differently when the millennials started to become the main consumers? Millennials is, is an interesting group because they were the first group that were, you know, also considered digital natives. So grew which generation grew up with technology? I mean, Gen Z even more, but it was really millennials. So them entering the workplace did create the first, I would say, first layer of conflict, first layer of kind of wanting to do things a different way. Again, every generation has its own way of doing things. But here you have 
often a war between a generation that is very, um, not just even tech savvy, but has a different expectation of how the world works to often in workplaces where things were very status quo, or this is how we've always done it. So you would hear from millennials things like, I just want a stapler, but I have to fill out 10 forms to get a stapler. Like that kind of bureaucracy and red tape, you saw a lot of bucking against, if you will, right? But here's the interesting thing. What starts as a quote unquote millennial trend or a Gen Z trend, it really becomes mainstream culture very quickly. You look at TikTok, you look at Facebook, these platforms all started out for a subgroup. You know, Facebook started when I was in college and was only open to college students. And so, and then eventually opened up. TikTok, of course, people are like, oh, it's all young people. No, not really, but that's how it started. It started out for a younger culture, a younger you know, audience, so yeah. to speak. But all of that is eventually becomes mainstream. You know, that that comes into where, where we are. Do you, have you heard the term challenger brands? Do you know about challenger brands? I had Adam Morgan, actually, who he didn't coin the term, but he actually popularized, right, the term challenger brand. And he gave a really great story, which I think is basically what you were talking about as well, where he talked about a millennial who challenged it. And when I want to order pizza, instead of having to dial up a pizza place and give my information, I wish there was something that I could just click on my phone and t- tap and then next thing I know my pizza shows up right and the I mean look at the app I mean apps exploded and it was the millennials that created all these apps so I think in my observation where brands really changed was with millennials is appealing to them in that sort of ease and speed of things and you know keeping it simple and that's why the uber generation yeah but think about this right now it doesn't take long for challenger to become the status quo so yes, what started as millennials with apps, we all use apps now. Right? Well, that's what happens when you talk about going yeah, to the mainstream. That's, that's what happens. But now it's no longer millennial thing. And this is what I find fascinating is all brands, you know, we see this a lot in B2B, which is they think like, oh, we're competing with other B2B companies and like, are the other competitors are a snooze. So us having a website is like a huge thumbs up, like step up. It's like, yeah, but your buyers, now whether they're buying for a business, like whether it's, you know, they're they're at the enterprise level and they're shopping shopping for software or for personal stuff. Their bar is not other B2B companies. They're not th- saying like, oh, well, thank God you're, you don't just have a catalog. Like that's not their bar. Their bar is the Apple store, their Sephora app, their, mm-hmm. <laughs> their Poshmark, mm-hmm. like Amazon. That is the level, right? That's, yeah. that's the level of ease, of speed, of yeah. agility that is expected today. Not just like as a nice to have, but that is the new the new bar, if you will. And so I think from a branding perspective, yes. I mean, ease of business, absolutely. Part of it comes down to asking your customers. I always think that's fascinating. You know, one of the things that when we do PR, we're looking at ROI and whatnot, and we tell our clients, ask on your contact form. When you get leads, ask them, how did they hear about you? Nine out of 10 times, it's not going to match what analytics shows you because there's no way to track that. You can only ask them because so much of it happens in dark social where people are researching and whatnot, but they're not sharing it publicly. Think about people listening to this podcast right now. Jolie, after this, someone's going to go to your site, they're going to Google it, or they might Google my name, or they might go to the company website. If I look at Google Analytics, it's going to say, okay, they they came through search, but they didn't actually come through search. If I ask them, they're going to say, oh, I heard you on Jolie's podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's no way for Jolie's podcast to track that. There's like, I, so... Part of, I think, what brands have to get really good at, and I hope 
it's, I don't know why this is so hard, maybe because it's a simple answer and we just expect it to be like complicated and fancy or whatnot, but asking your customers, ask them, yeah. right, where did you hear about us? And that's how you know if something's working or not. I, you know, I love that you said that. And even on a personal level, because every time I have someone who will reach out to me on LinkedIn, let's say, or send me a request, I always reply and I say that I go, hey, thanks so much for connecting with me. I'm just curious, you know, what inspired you to reach out? How did you find me? Or if I have someone who sends me an email with my podcast, I get a lot of people who want to have me on their platform or whatever. And I, and I just got one this morning, funnily enough, and there's this platform for podcasts. And I reached back and I said, oh, thanks for reaching out. I'm just curious, how did you find me? That may not be very technical or whatever, but I I keep track of that. So I know like where, how are people finding me and where are they finding me? Right. And that's how you know what's working, but you'd be amazed at how many companies refuse to do that. Like they'll spend hundreds and thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. on analytics, on on all this stuff. And I'm like, just ask, Yeah, just ask your customers and they'll tell you, you know, they keep spending money on stuff that doesn't have any return. Same thing we're talking about. How do your customers even find information? you think yeah. it's from reading your catalog? So I think it's really interesting. If you think about it as a triangle, the top two thirds of the triangle, prospects are doing research. And the bottom one third is their sales, right? They're talking to sales and whatnot. Now, if you flip that triangle, so the pointy, so the smaller piece of the triangle is up top, the one third part of it is spent in marketing, maybe. And the rest of it, companies focus all on sales, not branding. So it's a very inverted <laughs> approach Mm. and it has nothing to do with millennials or gen z it's just like people don't want to talk to sales until they're already sure what they want you know and i see that all the time when people come to zen media nine out of ten times it's because they want to know hey can you know can you guys help us with the situation they're not looking for like are you guys the right shot like they already know yeah they already know like you know so they've already done their homework they're not looking oh yeah before you walk into buy a car you've already you already know the make you already know what what you're not going to pay and what you should pay we all know that because we have things like TripAdvisor and google and the consumer is more savvy than ever before so you touched briefly on Gen Z. I want to now explore that because that millennial, those millennials now are in their 40s, believe it or not. And now the Gen Zs are entering the workforce. And I work with a lot of my clients that are Gen Zs. And they have a whole different set of values and things that are important to them when they're looking at choosing brands. So I'd like you to touch a little bit on that and how the Gen Zs differ from millennials and how brands now need to or have hopefully learned how to pivot and change to appeal to this new generation coming up. Yeah. So it's really interesting. So if you think about millennials as like the Harry Potter generation, right? Everything's magic. There's possibility. There's maybe one villain. There's a power struggle. It's it's very traditional and at its core. You could think of Gen Z as the Hunger Games generation. <laughs> which okay. is I've never you know, heard that before. Different construct, different mindset. They've come up in an era where for millennials, where a certain aesthetic was important, even like Instagram is a great example, how you project your brand to the world mattered. Gen Z is the opposite, where the more authentic, it's like the Olivia Rodrigo, there's the artists that they embody, the things that they like, Billie Eilish, like it's a very, it's much more about being authentic and yourself and wearing things on your sleeve versus the millennial generation was very like button up. It's about a curated image and Gen Z is much more about the anti-curated image the authentic, even if it's ugly, heck, we embrace that, right? So it's a very different ethos. 
There's also the reason I say Hunger Games and, and Harry Potter as an example is because in Hunger Games, whether you read the book or not, the sense is that there's really no way to win in the world. So there's a, a general sense of like you against the world, but also a sort of nihilistic spirit, which I mean, you see that in Gen Z, which is like, what's the point of even saving up for old age when the planet may not even be here by the time we get there? Now, whether that's accurate or not, obviously, the planet's been here for millions of years. It's just the ethos where that's coming from. And so they do hold brands to a different level, of a higher level. Think about all the things that have come to the forefront in the last few years, much of it driven by Gen Z's insistence. Some of it, you know, very good to move the world forward, much more focus on climate change and what it's doing to the world, a much greater focus on mental health. I think that's been really awesome to watch where that's they. I think Gen Z has really been a key driver in destigmatizing mental health and making that okay, holding even employers to a higher level right? Diversity being very important to them, not just lip service, but what are you actually doing about it? Now, do I think there's a shadow side to it? Sure. But I think, you know, eventually all things come back to the pendulum has to swing hard one way to come back and settle in the middle. So what we see right now is the pendulum swinging all the way, which does mean a lot of times the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater where it's like, yeah, but where where do we draw the line? And this is where they get accused of being snowflakes or or overly woke or whatnot. And so, what do you think the about the cancer? Thing. What do you think about? Sorry, I wanted I don't mean to interrupt you, but I want to just touch on one thing you said. One thing that I think is very topical and there's a lot of debate over is the whole cancer culture. And so, I want to touch on that because a lot of people think that's gotten way too far and ridiculous Absolutely. in what's going on. So, I want to get your opinion on that. It's very caustic. And it's not that much different than burning people at the stake, right? Like our version of of doing that digitally. And look, do I think there are people like Weinstein that really needed to face their crimes? And well, yeah, of course. And are there, yeah, so there are, has there been a lot, a reckoning of sorts? Sure. Do I think it's gone too far? Absolutely. Yeah. Because here's the thing, we're all human beings. We all make mistakes. A good culture allows for the atonement of those mistakes and gives people a chance to do better. And I think cancel culture doesn't allow for that because much of it is driven by mob mentality rather than a genuine, why are we doing this? What's the, you know, like, I think it hasn't been taken very far. I think things get taken out of context. I think careers and lives have been ruined over it. And that makes me sad because I think it is unfair. I think it's very unfair. Well, you talked about the pendulum swinging too far. And my personal opinion is I think it has swung very far. I mean, we talked about movies and we talked about comedy. I've, I've talked to a lot of people or I've read a lot of things about comedy, how comedy isn't what it used to be because they can't say anything anymore because everyone's getting cult, everybody's getting canceled. So comedians are either not as good as they were. Like everyone's like, well, there's no good comedians anymore. It's because they're all feeling like they can't say anything or in yeah, the entertainment you're Ricky world. Ricky Gervais and you don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, you know what I mean? So I just, it just, it triggered me that question when you talked about the pendulum swinging with the Generation Z, because I think that is one thing that is definitely needs to come back, hopefully, because it's gone way too far. And it's, I think, in a negative way. Yeah. And I'm interested. So this is getting me interesting. I'm very interested to see Gen Alpha's <laughs> take, right? Because every, yeah. it kind of happens where 
there's this culture, there's a counterculture, and then we find your balance. And so, yeah. yeah, I think there is a lot of pent up anger, honestly, which we see directed in a lot of these ways. But yes, I think that the internet has given mob mentality, which is a very true phenomena, rather than pitchforks and, and torches, it's digital pitchforks and mm-hmm. tweets, and, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, it's the equivalent of just that. And, you know, they say the lie is halfway around the world before the truth has the, its time to put its pants on. And we <laughs> see a lot of that too, for sure. So, you know, I, I, here's the thing. I think all brands are going to make some mistakes because there's no foolproof way to navigate everything. But I think how you respond to that is going to make a world of difference, right? So now in PR, we deal with crisis comm situations where we deal with getting ahead of things sometimes. And part of that is, again, the more authentic you can be, the more you can be genuine about how you feel. Either way, that goes by the way. And believe it or not, I think Gen Z respects more companies that take a stance than companies that just don't have anything to say about it. Yeah. And I think, you know, absolutely. And when brands are or companies or businesses, I think there, we talked earlier about being more authentic and being transparent as well. Like this is who we are and this is what our values are and this is what we believe in. And you know what? At the end of the day, they're going to have their audience and their consumer that is going to buy into their brand and that's going to share the same values and is going to be loyal to them. And, you know, you talk a lot about niching when it comes to your brand and branding and finding who your niche is, finding your tribe and connecting with them. And so if they have their values and their audience that connects with them for whatever reason, then that's great. And I think what I was going to ask you, actually, that's a great segue into my next question is now that Gen Z's are becoming, you know, the growing, they're not there yet, but they're definitely now in the in the marketplace and earning money and they're eventually going to have more power and more consume more consumers are going to be in that generation. So how do you think brands are going to have to now shift again to connect with this new generation? What are some things, you know, for businesses, especially my audience, I have a lot of CEOs and business leaders that are listeners. What are some things that they can do to make sure that they stay relevant with this new generation? Yeah. So we think the big thing is to realize advertising is wonderful and has its place, but the trust in advertising has declined tremendously. So if you are still putting all your eggs in that basket, you're really shooting yourself in the foot because, I mean, forget about all the terrible fraud that happens in advertising in general, but this generation cares more about third-party credibility than any other generation. I've never seen PR play such a crucial role in anything and because they do trust third-party sources. They trust their peers. They trust influencers. And I'll give you a great example, which might be a good way to showcase this. LinkedIn recently announced their a new emoji. So they, they announced like they're funny. They added like a haha emoji, which I think is also interesting and shows their mm-hmm. own catering to the Gen Z world. Because you think of like a haha emoji on a professional network and you know, five years ago on LinkedIn, that might have just been laughed at, literally. Oh, yeah. But LinkedIn has changed so much in the last, especially since COVID. I mean, it's it's complete. I I actually love it more now than ever because it's a lot more than just people used to just post like resumes, right? That was their resume. Now it's it's, social media, right? It's really social. And you see see the pendulum swinging there too. So you see like very personal stuff or perhaps borderline inappropriate. And then, you know, people are like, wait, this is not LinkedIn appropriate. So as a culture, we're also deciding that. What I thought was really cool was LinkedIn obviously paid Mindy Kaling and she did a post about 
the funny emoji and said, let's get down to funny business and get, so I just thought it was such a brilliant way to introduce their emoji and tied into someone who was relevant and made sense with funny, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's funny, but business world is a lot of very cool. So I thought yeah. that was a great example. And I think these are the types of things businesses are going to have to look at in terms of their marketing, their brand is look, creativity is no longer optional or like, oh, that's nice. That's a little creative. I think it's going to have to be the cornerstone of everything a brand does. Because the one other thing we know, whether it's Gen Z, millennials, whatever, is that the world is only getting noisier. Like the amount of content that is created, it's deafening. So for your brand to stand out, I think that, is it going to be harder? Yeah. Do I think it's getting any easier? Nope. I think you should start yesterday. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Or last week or six months ago or a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. And so what are some brands? Can you name brands that are doing it right as of now that are getting it? You know, before I answer that question too, Jolie, I'll also say this. I think brand loyalty is a fool's errand. Oh, interesting. Because Because LinkedIn has great research on this. Brand loyalty goes to the person who has the most customers. If you focus on acquisition, you will win the loyalty game. But if you focus on loyalty, you may or may not win the loyalty game. The more market share that you have, the more loyalty you get. It goes hand in hand. But so many brands focus on like loyalty, not realizing like if you just focus on getting more market share, you will eventually get more loyalty. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because I want to make sure I'm following you exactly. So people focus on loyalty, right? How do we keep our customers loyal? You can focus on that all you want. But it's actually just better to go after newer customers. Like, yes, keep your customers happy, obviously. But there is a there is a point of diminishing returns. You really want loyalty, get more market share. The more market share, the more trusted your brand, the more loyalty you'll have. Okay. But you don't want to dismiss your current clients. I mean, you want them... No, that's what I'm saying. So there's a baseline, yeah. right? The customer marketing is a real thing. Like, obviously, your customers need to feel good about doing business with you. What I'm saying is, though, they will feel good about doing business with you as more people choose you to do business with. I see. Okay. Because then you become more popular. And so they're thinking... You're more popular. You're more trusted. Yeah. If everyone's doing business with you, of course, I should do business with you. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. And then there's also a distinction about you know, customer loyalty and the loyalty programs, because, right, you know how there's like, those are huge, all the loyalty programs, but I don't necessarily believe that a loyalty program equals a loyal customer. What do you think about that? Absolutely agreed. I think that most loyalty programs are done badly or wrong. Like the, you know, people realize that quickly when they kept people, you know, forcing them to download apps and then they would just not use them again. Like so many companies spend so much money on their apps that nobody uses or they used it once for that promo and they never came back. And so I think it's about understanding your customer base. Now, Lush, I think is very smart brand. They no longer have a presence on Facebook, I believe, or Instagram. They said that they did not appreciate, you know, and they took a stance on it. So they, they cut their Facebook ads. They said they were no longer going to do Instagram. They do work with influencers though, who are on those platforms but for their audience, that really resonated. And the amount of press and, you know, the sheer voice that went up for them and the visibility they got more than made up for a few years worth of lost Facebook ad sales. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's a very smart brand. And I thought that was a very savvy decision, even though, you know, the the official verbiage was like, oh, we're doing this for political reasons or we're taking a stance or whatnot. I thought it was a brand that was very shrewd. 
mm-hmm. about how they, you know, cause they're still on Pinterest. They're still on other platforms. They still work with influencers, but yeah, I just thought it was a very shrewd decision the way they approached that. So there are brands that are doing smart, good Well, things. it was a statement for them, right? Sure, it was a statement. Do I think the statement helped them more than hurt them? Absolutely. Yeah. Because the statement was, we're willing to take this hit, but was yeah. it really a hit? Yeah, because no, exactly. Got so much visibility from that. It was very smart. So but- I don't deny them that. And I'm not even saying it was a you know, it, it was sneaky. That's not, I'm just saying that the good outweighed the bad. The outcome, the, uh, it was a positive outcome. And, you know, that sure. was- and they're, and they're very Gen Z, you know, Gen Z is a big customer base for them. So it That's really it. resonated with their audience. Yeah. And it goes back to what you just said earlier about how, you know, Gen Z's want businesses and brands to stand for something. And then, so when these businesses are standing for whatever they believe in, I mean, you can look at a huge brand like Patagonia, who's could be very, very controversial, but you know, they have very strong stance on things. And then they're going to have their consumer that aligns with their same values and is going to stick with them. So when Lush made this statement for their own purpose and their own reason, it actually probably grew out of that because more people saw what they were doing. And again, that's that generation who is more interested in getting behind the curtain and seeing what brands are actually doing and standing for. And then they're making their decisions as far as who they're going to align with. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, do I think it's the right strategy for every brand? No. I also think it was a good lesson in picking your platforms and doubling down, not trying to do everything. I think there is a sense of like, we need to be doing everything. No, you need to be doing a few things right and consistently. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I've heard you say people are now the media. Can you elaborate on what that means? Yeah, Jolie, it's you. Look, your podcast, right? And everybody who tweets this and shares this, people are the media. I I think that's the sense of how information spreads is amazing and just a little mind boggling to how quickly things can go quote unquote viral. I mean, look at, you know, something that starts as a tweet has millions of views by, you know, an end of a day or, or whatever is, is happening. So I think in that way, people are the media. You look at the power reviews play, how we share information, you know, like when you want to find a good new restaurant, how many people look at Yelp or TripAdvisor versus anything else. And so This is what I mean by people are the media. Even in the media, things are changing. We approach PR very differently. Traditionally, PR has been the audience's public, like it's journalists, traditional journalists. But who's a traditional journalist today? That is very much a changing, you know, for some of our clients, being on your podcast is going to be a lot better than being on the front page of like, let's say even the Wall Street Journal. (laughs) Do you hear that, everybody? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, right. The audience is a match. It's who you're getting in front of. And so understanding your influencers, understanding your audience and realizing that, yes, that media is a... Look, being on the cover of anything used to be such a big deal. I can honestly tell you it's not today that big of a deal because of how fragmented the media landscape is. Well, especially with magazines, people can pay to get into any magazine as well too. So how authentic is it? Well, there's a lot of overlap between paid and earned as well. Now, I don't dismiss that because I'm like, there may be some paid opportunities that make a lot of sense. But again, third-party credibility is always going to go a lot further than any advertising. Anything someone else says about you is going to be 10x more powerful than what you say about yourself. Yeah. 
I love that. And going back to the traditional media, I also think that we're living in a time, you know, the whole fake news where there's been a huge loss of trust in the media, right? I mean, back when I was younger and people like Walter Cronkite and Dan Rather, I mean, we what they said, we believed and we knew that it was true and we didn't question it. But now what's gone on and everything, I think there's been a lot of lost trust with the media. And so who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust some talking head that you're seeing on TV or are you going to trust your friend or you talk about the influencer who you've already now created that relationship and built that trust with, right? Trust is a huge part of connecting and adding value to while well, you talk about brands and, you know, trying to connect with their audience. When you talk about third party, I think that's the way it's done is through that trust. Absolutely. And so this is what I was trying to say is that people are the media. I mean, it's not the traditional journalist anymore. It's not the Walter Conkite or the Dean Rather, but the TikTok influencer who's creating content or creator, if you will, I think that's the more appropriate term <laughs> is, yeah, communities, people who have trust that you can leverage that trust to build your audience and get in front of the right people. And that's why I said, you know, sometimes getting our clients on the right podcast is worth a lot more than a traditional quote unquote placement because it's who their audience is listening to. It's who they trust. And so part of that is creating trust at all those levels. And so, yeah, look, I think the last few years have been rough for the media. A lot has changed. The other thing that's changes, most journalists today are contributors who wear multiple hats. And they're not just like the other day I talked to a prospect and they said, we really want someone with retail connections, you know, retail media. And I'm like, great. But just so you know, most people who write for retail outlets also write for eight other outlets. Like they're not, they're sitting in like, people imagine like old school editor rooms with the hat and like people clicking away, you know, there's one editor, like it doesn't work that way anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Most like contributors who have four other publications they write for. And so I think even that, the media landscape in general has changed dramatically. Absolutely, for sure. Well, you know, it's funny. I just looked at the time and I can't believe how fast it's gone by. I love talking to you. I think we've touched on so many different topics and I know we went off a little bit, but I just found, you know, you piqued a lot of questions in me. And so people want to learn more about you and all that you do. What's the best way for them to connect with you? Thanks, Jolie. I am on social, so... You know, pick your poison. Uh, LinkedIn is probably where I'm most active and where I publish tons. So certainly if you connect with me there, do put Jolie's name in the note because otherwise I will never see it. <laughs> but yeah, certainly. And then, you know, if you go to shamahydra.com, you know, you can see and learn more and there's tons of, if you're interested in like marketing and PR, there's so much content on zenmedia.com. The team does an amazing job keeping that updated. And there's just a lot of how-tos and understanding how to approach some of these things. So yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Jolie. This was a lot of fun. Amazing. Well, congrats to you and your business and all your speaking Thank engagements. You. I'd love to see you live one day. I don't know if you ever, do you ever make it up to Canada or even I will let there? you know. I will let yeah. you know when I have my next public engagement there for sure. Okay, that would be great. Do you have any parting words for everyone before we sign off? Yes, get in the arena, do these things, try them. I think it's very easy. You know, look, I, I love podcasts. I listen to things too, but just do one thing, like learn something and then just enact it. Even if it's as simple as writing a post or like doing something or talking to someone on your team about starting an initiative, but take action. I think it's so easy these days to become a consumer of information, but really what's going to move the needle for anybody and any brand is actually doing things and trying them. Yeah. Great advice. Well, thank you again. And uh, hopefully we'll stay in touch. I'd like that. That was wonderful. You're a great host. Thank you so much for all your questions. You're amazing. We had a lot. I kept going off because you would say something like, oh, I want to know more about that. And so I hope I didn't go too all over the place for you. No, you were totally fine. Okay, cool. Talk to you soon. Bye.
And there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and maybe learned a few things to help you with your branding. This show is a work in progress, so please remember to rate and review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like help creating brand awareness for your business, please reach out to me on any of the social platforms under, you guessed it, Branding Badass. I promise you, I reply to all my messages. Branding Matters was produced, edited, and hosted by Jolie Goodson, also me. So thank you again, and until next time, here's to all you badasses out there.